It's Tempo Waffle Time! Welcome to Teffel Waffle, where we waffle about Teffel. With Troy and Steve. Today, I want to tell you a little story. Okay. Um, I wanna t- uh, I've just come back from Cambodia. And um, at a school in Cambodia, the one school that I went to, there was a, a um, graduation ceremony for the kids, the kindergarten kids. And all the kids were very well behaved and everybody was sitting still. And the person who had been to a previous, another school's graduation ceremony said to me, wow, the children in this school are so quiet and good, not like the other school. Ooh. Mm. And, um, the quiet equals good thing. The quiet equals good thing is what I want to talk about. Okay. Yes. Right. So the, this is a, a common misconception, I, I think a misconception anyway, with, with teachers here that um, a good class is, some, is a class that sits still and is quiet. And a good student is a student who sits still and listens to the teacher and is quiet. That, that's a nightmare scenario for me. <laughs> um, when, I, when I first moved to Thailand and I, I took kind of a, a, a slight veer on my career, I was working as a head teacher for a long time and then I went, I, I just need to go back into the classroom for a while. And uh, one of the first things that happened was I was working with a Thai teacher, not, not directly, but uh, we were in the same department and we shared a classroom and we shared students. We weren't teaching at the same time. She had the students um, align the chairs perfectly. They were all in perfect neat rows, columns, uh, spaced out, exactly right. And I would walk into what she thought was her classroom and I suppose it was because she used it the most it was next to her office and I would walk in and rearrange the whole room go and put a horseshoe in place put something. a horseshoe in there and she would be in her office next door and I would see her just kind of look through the window there, there was a window between her office and the classroom and so she could look into the classroom while I was teaching and I would see her look sometimes, and the look would be, God, they're being so noisy and chaotic, and because I would have people up and, and moving around. Her perfect classroom was my nightmare classroom. Mm. So I ran a little experiment, actually, while I was there. <clears throat> I showed a picture of a class that I found on the internet. I, t- I googled a good classroom, a good class. Or, yeah. um, and it was a class of students obviously from China where the students were all sitting very quietly watching a teacher at the board okay and it looked like the perfect classroom eh? in, in some ways and I, I showed it to four or five teachers and I said what do you think this is a good class and all of them go went yeah wow they're listening to the teacher and so the teacher's at the front writing something on the board and all yep. the students are sitting it, it looks posed to me okay they're quiet they're copying they're quiet. no no they're all t- staring avidly attentively at the board okay or, or or it was just that moment where the teacher was talking about tomorrow's test or something and all the students <laughs> yeah um, and I showed another picture of uh, some students jumping through hoops or something in the classroom and some of the like, students like actually jumping through hoops yeah they had little hoops and the students were crawling through them okay and three of three of the teachers went oh that looks like fun and two okay. of the students said two, two of the teachers said oh that that's they're going to get hurt Oh yeah, um, and uh, the 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 idea that 
students are sitting still and being quiet is something that is, is fairly pervasive. Even with the teachers that liked the movement, the hula hoop activity, they liked they, the They still classroom. held the idea of a good classroom is really organised and strict and, and, and controlled. And, yes, and all the students are sitting quietly. And, um, <clears throat> now, I find this interesting because I, I'm, a big, I'm a big believer in movement. Um, and there's a, there's a huge amount of research into why movement is beneficial for children's development. Yeah. Um, in terms of nervous system Yeah, and, and there are also all these studies about memory where movement has some weird relationships with memory. I never completely bought into any of the studies because there was quite a bit of pop psychology in the, the stuff that I've read. But, yeah, sure, there is that, that indicator. The... the um the famous uh, landmark study, I think, is is the one by Brown in nineteen sixty seven. He took two groups of he took a group of forty kids, primary school kids, and he took twenty of them and put them through an exercise routine, isometric exercise routine, three times a week. And he took the other twenty kids, and he during that time he made them do attentive, attention based desk work activities, okay. coloring, okay. Um, but quiet desk based. And after, I, I don't know how long the study, I think it was a three-month study. After a three-month study, they, they ran a bunch of tests. And um, the children who'd gone into the exercise um, yeah. per side, the, the exercise uh, so, group. So the, the exercise thing, it wasn't uh, we're learning and exercising. It was just we're going to take you out of the class and go do an hour of pure exercise. Of, of movement, yeah. So it was a, a series of movement-based activities um, Bulgarian split squats and I mean okay. it was fun stuff for the kids but they had to remember a specific routine and they had to go through that um, okay so so there was memory <clears throat> there was reasoning because they had to remember what it was that they were doing and they had to work together sometimes one had to lift the other and so on um, the children in that in that group apparently uh, his findings were that their their IQ were better. Their IQs. Their IQ improved, yes. Okay. And their social their social interaction, whatever measure he was using for sociability was improved over the children who sat quietly at the desks during that time. Okay. Now that's been replicated a lot. Um and all the replications seem to indicate that there's some definite correlation. Th- why right. There's a there's a there's a factor which is allowing students who move to develop socially um improve their uh, memories that's that's been in there too now some of the studies have tried to be a little bit more specific and they've gone into dopamine and cortisol and measures of actual hormones and stuff as the children move and how that affects their brain stems and so on and it seems that the studies either have no finding or a positive finding in favor of movement there there is no negative finding as far as i can find um, and that means that movement is... is now, now, one of the studies that I found very interesting is children who do move a lot actually are more alert and enthusiastic about studying quietly. So when they do get to sit and study quietly, and um, their, their learning is a lot more okay, focused. Okay, they're, they're ready to sit. <coughs> they're ready to, yeah. Um, now, the, the question is, in our classrooms, do we allow students to run around madly waving their arms in the air? Uh, okay, yeah. <laughs> I mean that. My answer to that is yes. Yeah, we do. Um, and how much desk time should we allocate? Okay. Um, 
Now, I've read quite a bit on, on the movement and memory and uh, also some fun ones where, like, looking at things like TPR, where um, movement is a part of the learning, so you equate a physical movement with a particular piece of vocabulary or phrase or what have you. So, for example, you teach... Uh, parts of the body and the students touch those parts of the body as they're learning them. Yeah. Okay. Oh, you're teaching jump and they jump. Mm. Um, but a lot of those studies, they weren't, they weren't even that exact. They often branched off into other things like, okay, so when I say music, you wiggle your right hand side to side, and and when I when I say TV, you you squat and stare straight ahead, and etc. And uh, sometimes there was a, a logical correlation, you know, TV is a squat and stare, and other ones were, no, they were just, just a kind random, of, kind of random. Okay. and they were trying to say that, okay, these these things help memory, you know. I was never completely sold on any of them. Okay. But, okay. but, but uh, I mean, <clears throat> with young children, there is definitely uh, um, some sort of connection. I think that it makes more sense if there's a connection between the meaning of the, the word and the action that's going on. With storytelling, for example... Yeah, I, I get that, but the, the random one, I wasn't... Uh... Yeah, well, that's, that would be pretty difficult to, um, to research, though, whether it's actually creating a link. I watch the kids when they're... When they're singing songs, or when there's a song that they that they know well, they automatically start doing the actions if they've been taught an action. Yeah. They, they, it's it's just almost natural okay. for them to start doing it, even if they're in, even if the action is just stretch your arms out and, and wave it like an aeroplane kind of thing. You know, the, that's yeah. uh, they do it. They just do it even when the song's on in the background. <laughs> Very cute. Okay, now I don't have a lot of experience teaching young kids. I've taught them enough to know that I can. I've also taught them enough to know that I actually prefer teenagers and adults to teaching young kids. I find teaching the young kids a lot of fun, but as a long-term thing, going to the kids' class over and over again, I, I think I'm kind of lacking the right creative gene that, that some teachers have, some great kid teachers have. But with my Ooh. teenagers and adults... We have a podcast about whether teaching young learners is genetic. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> okay, sorry. Yeah, sorry. Okay, yeah. <laughs> All right. Uh, but having said that, okay, so I teach a lot of teens and, and adults, and I, I hate a quiet classroom. I really, really just... Why? Uh, a bunch of reasons. Um, one is a purely practical thing. I don't know where I first heard this from. may have been from an early head teacher. Um, but I heard this phrase which was, uh, anything that can be done alone can be done at home. Mm. And that, that rhyme made it stick in my head. Mm. And uh, having spent enough time in the classroom at that point when I was learning that type of thing, I fully came to believe that, that doing silent solo work is a waste of class time. Uh, then on top of that, I'm teaching language, and I don't. You know, silent language study is is almost a contradiction. I get the idea that there's reading and there's writing, but reading and writing aren't the bulk of what we use languages for. 
the, the bulk is, is well, unless it's a reading and writing course. But even with reading and writing courses, getting students uh, into groups... I still, I still hate a quiet classroom. <clears throat> I, I have to agree with you. Uh, I mean, I also like my classes to be noisy and active. But um, th- there is the problem that teachers here, and I, I mean here as in Asia, will walk past one of our classrooms, which are noisy and active, walk in and go, why aren't you children behaving properly for the foreign teacher? Uh, yeah, strangely enough, I had... Uh, this was... <laughs> What? A week ago. I went to do a couple of classes, and it was a one-off thing. I didn't know the students. I didn't know any of the staff members. I didn't know anyone at the place where I was going to teach. Um, they'd requested me to come for a day. They'd given me some topics. I, I built my lesson around it. And towards the end of the day, um, the, the staff, they wanted me to, to do something else and finish class a little early. And what they actually said to me was, no, 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 don't start another game. Uh, because we we want to do this, and the way they phrase it is don't start another game. Um, means obviously their their perception of my classroom where you is get up and you move around is that it's a series of games. And and I did have that little twinge when they said that it's not a game, it's an activity we're learning, man. You know, I had that instinctive twinge. I obviously didn't say anything about it because explaining that that's a philosophical discussion about education. Um. But this, this outside perception, they also said uh, at the same time, oh, we're, we're so sad that you're only with us for a day and we'd love to have you back. And the students really liked you. And it was, you know, they, their feedback and their attitude towards me was very positive. Very. Even though you were just playing games in there. Yeah. <coughs> so um, perhaps, yeah, they, there is a perception from outside but maybe I take it a bit too seriously the fact that I went not a game when actually obviously them saying don't start another game wasn't a negative mm. I have um, I have a, a recent experience with a student on the course a foreigner who came and did the TESOL the, the TESOL course with us and um, in my classes I I introduce a new concept and then I do an activity based around that and yep. then I do the feedback and that's that's normally how I run my classes so I int- either introduce the problem, let them brainstorm in pairs or groups possible solutions, and then we, we discuss them or something like that. And he came to me about three quarters of the way through the class, and he said to me he's really had enough of this pair and group work. He'd just like to just know the answer. Yeah, okay. he just wants the answer. Um, or to work alone. Okay. Now, I think the problem there was that, that the class didn't work gel well. To, they, they didn't work as a They as just a didn't click. Work. Okay. There wasn't a lot of interaction between them, yeah. And um, but there's also this perception among some students that all this pair work and group work is time wasting. Okay. Um, uh, we could just get this stuff done quickly and move on to other stuff, without the understanding that the the process is the learning, not the outcome. The outcome is you, important. You sure. get to, but you get to the outcome through the process. Yeah, it's and the not process just... is actually how the learning takes place. And the process is the learning. I mean, you learn how to think and you learn how to consider things and you learn the pros and cons. And, and to me, that's a very important thing. But there are lots of people who are very outcomes-based and they want the outcome. They don't want the process. Um, and I, I don't know how to deal with that kind of thing. When somebody says that to me, um, is it my belief that the process is important or, or is, is, have, have I got the wrong thing? I don't know. A lot of, <laughs> a lot of the me getting students to do things part... Um, partly it's simply because 
I'm an English speaker. I, I already know the subject that I'm teaching, so obviously I don't need that much practice. I shouldn't be stealing the student's class time. They should be doing things, not me. If, if I'm doing it all, then what are they learning? Um, part of it is, a big part of it is also though, when my students are busy, I get to actually walk around and see what's happening and I get to listen to their language and sometimes that is me listening and stepping in and guiding or correcting or, or pointing things out to the students and sometimes it's you know, my role is pretty passive I'm literally just listening in to see what they can and can't do and how well they can or can't do things and I think without without me getting the students busy on that the activity part I I'd lose a lot of my confidence in whether or not I'm getting through to them. It, it's not just for them. It's almost the wrong way around because most teachers would think if I'm not standing at the board, or not most, a lot of teachers would think if I'm not standing at the board talking, um, I'm not doing my job properly, I'm not working hard enough to get stuff um, through. Mine is uh, if they're able to do the thing, I know that that bit where I stood up at the front of the board and, and explained something and, and not necessarily explained, but we worked through something together. I asked a lot of questions. I helped guide them to where I wanted them to be. And then I say, okay, now you do it. And I, I set up a scenario where they're busy applying something. It's only through me listening to them or watching them, or sometimes we're very lucky. Like on, a, on the TESOL course we teach on, I get to teach them something in the morning and then say, okay, now use this with the students tonight. Let's see if you can put it into practice. That's even better. But it's it's seeing them do it that lets me know I'm doing my job. So <clears throat> the, back to the movement question. The kids moving in the classroom is very useful and the adult version of that is the activities in I, groups and the pairs. Actually, no. I, I still, even with my adults, I get them to move quite a bit. Um, so... Sometimes it's really simple things. We do a practice task, and they, they work in a pair. But they're, they're seated, but it's not silent. They're just working through this really controlled uh, grammar or vocabulary exercise, whatever. They're, they're filling in the blanks with the correct words. But they're doing it in pairs, so there's the activity discussion part. And because they're doing it in pairs, they're doing it partly aloud, I get to listen in. Then it's very common for me once they've finished a practice task to say, okay, here's your number, one, two, three, four, five, one, two, three, four, five. Let's say I've got a class of ten, and one and one are together, and two and two are together. So they, they pair up with somebody from a different pair and verbally confirm that they have the same answers. I don't let them hold the paper side by side. One person says, oh, number one is... So what, the, the two students get up and, and meet each other? They meet each other standing. So they, Without their paper? With their paper. Okay. They take their paper, they find their partner, and then they verbally compare their answers. So yeah. I read number one, and then you read number what, two. And what's the movement? It's the get up, go find oh, your partner. Oh, okay. okay, now discuss it. Okay, now go back to your, your seat. And the students like that? They seem to like it. Have you and ever had a case where you've told students to stand up and they won't? Very, very early in my career. Okay. Uh, now, why, why no. Uh, early in my career, it was... Uh, it seemed to be a, okay everyone stand up now and there was lots of kind of like one or two students would hesitantly start mm. to stand and then they'd see nobody else would and they'd sit back down and, and I think it was just this 
this concept of get up, they were just like, what? What? Yeah. What? I also used to have a, a lot of problems with it, and I've realized my solution to it is when I walk into the classroom on the first day, and get if I up. say to them, okay, get up and everybody find yeah. out five people who have yeah, yeah. then they know I'm the get up. Get up and your chair. Yeah. That's probably a big part of why it happened more earlier in my career. Um, the other one, I think partly was, uh, might have been a little bit of a confidence issue for me. I didn't know to say, all right, come on, let's get up. All right, up, up, up. Yes, good, good. Right, right, up. Yeah. I, I didn't know to do that. Yeah. I, I would simply say, okay, can everyone stand up, please? Or would you mind? <laughs> uh, yeah, I, I'm sure I was doing that a lot. Cause I, see it in, uh, I see it in a lot of new teachers. Not, not bad teachers. Yeah. They're just new and they're trying to be polite. Right. Um, so, uh, if you'd like to now, you can, you can get up and talk to a partner yeah. and, you know, instead of just being, okay, stand up. Uh, okay. Not okay. Stand up and more. Okay, everyone, let's stand up now. Stand up, stand up. Uh, so I do a lot of get up and move around, even with our Teslas, when they're, they're learning to be teachers. I, I was teaching reading the other day and it was a very simple idea. We needed to be able to define and separate different ways that we read and therefore different types of reading tasks we can teach people. But before I could get to the what are the tasks, I had to get to the, okay, there are different ways of reading. You know, we read a dictionary and a novel in a completely different manner. And to do that, first I gave them the names of the, the types of reading skills and they discuss with their partner which ones they think they already know or can figure out just by the name of it. And then I gave them a different partner and they went with the new partner and I'd paste the definitions around the room. I'd just literally just use some press sticks and blue tack, stuck them on the walls and they just walked around and tried to match up the definition with the task. Now, there's no reason why they had to stand to do that. In, in fact, after the discuss with your partner thing, I could have said to each pair, okay, so here's, here's the slips that instead of sticking them on the wall, here's the slips for your pair and your pair, just align them. They didn't need to stand up and move around. And yet... They did. They did? Because <clears throat> they're used to it. I have a, I had an interesting experience at a workshop that I did with one school. There were 30 teachers or something like that. And I did a running dictation. So I stuck a piece of paper outside the door with um, something to do with teaching. So it was different activities, uh, similar sort of thing, definitions, I think. And they had a list of the activities, and somebody had to run out and find out what the definition was. And come back and say, oh, okay, no. And the teachers loved it. They bumped into each other, and they laughed, and they, they had an absolute blast. It took a long time. It was a 20-minute thing that landed up being... Yeah. I felt it was a, a beneficial use of 20 minutes, because they were actually negotiating the meanings and arguing with one uh, another. And there ends up being quite a lot more dissection and, and yes. depth in yes. there. They're not just, okay, that matches that yes, one, that's done. Right. And then at the end of it, I said, okay, so they loved all the movement. They, these are teachers, and they, were, they loved all the movement, and they really they got tired, and they, they sat down, and they were giggling. And I said, okay, so can we do this in the classroom? And they said, no. It'll be too noisy and too chaotic <laughs> and too messy. So it was good for them. But, but not good enough for their students. It would, it would or too good for their yeah. students. So how many students, students in your class? 30. How many teachers are there here? 30. Um, so... Why can't that it they couldn't, Yeah, they, they couldn't, they couldn't make, make the leap. No. I, I think a lot, of, a lot of the teacher training we do is not just, guys, here's how you do it and here's what it is and, and here are the resources and here's how to make it. 
I try as much as I can to do it, a do as I do thing, yeah. where I, I'm not just telling you what to do. I'm also doing it with you the way that I would do it with a real class. Mm. I, I'm trying to demonstrate that, and sometimes I'm quite overt about it. I I say to them, so we did that activity and we learned this, and okay, well, uh, what what's the answer? Da da da. And sometimes I do get the opportunity to stop and say, now how did we do it? Not what did we do? How? Oh, we worked with a partner and we got up and we moved around and and I think, well, you know, try these things out with your your students. But that minute of me being overt about something that I've done, I'm sure that doesn't negate the 20 years that they've been in the classroom as a student where they yeah, were sitting down. Yeah, unfortunately, there's quite a lot of research about the fact that we... This is Dan Lorty's finding from 1975... That, um, That's a ir- good memory. Yeah, I- irrespective <laughs> of how we're taught to teach, we teach the way we were taught. Okay. Um, so teacher training has to fight against 13,000 hours of classroom time. So we, we sit with these strict teachers being quiet for, he, he reckoned about 13,000 hours of classroom time. Okay. Uh, from, from kindergarten all the way up to, and the, the teachers that stand out in our minds are the ones that we hated or loved. Um, yeah. And those ones shape who we become. And we come into a teacher training course and we learn all these new techniques and we ignore them because we just go back, we just revert back to the teacher. Instinct. It's instinct. Um, And I suppose we parent the way we were parented and we, yeah, I think that those those things match. And our job as a teacher trainer is to try and get rid of of that conception. So back to my little story at the beginning. Uh, when, When I was showing these pictures around, one of them was a school director. And he, he was very enthusiastic about this class that was sitting quietly listening to the teacher. He said that that was absolutely perfect and that's what he wanted all of his teachers to do. And um, if that's a school director, then, then the teachers in that school have, have limited hope in actually uh, creating any modern <laughs> uh, approaches to teaching. But I think that if, if it works, if there's enough of the teachers doing it, perhaps... The culture can change. I, I think it, it definitely does. I mean, uh, in another place where I do classes, until recently, there was only one other teacher. Out of, there were probably I don't know, seven to ten teachers in, in that place. There was only one other teacher that I ever saw doing group work or pair work. Every classroom that I'd walk past would always be the teacher at the front talking and the students sitting and, and copying and taking notes or occasionally asking, you know, one student would ask a question and the teacher would answer it. Um, Where was this? Here in Thailand? That's in Thailand, yeah. Um, A few years ago, maybe two or three years ago, another teacher came in uh, and he he still, you know, he still, uh, I talk a lot to the the students, but there would definitely be some group work and some movement, which are more like my classrooms. And the students certainly noticed. Mm. Now, the administration in the school, they, they noticed as well, but they already know, based on feedback from the students and their own ideas as teachers, who, who they see as the good teachers and the not good teachers and the bad teachers and the okay teachers and etc. Mm. They already know that. But I noticed a big change in the students that we had. The students now started saying things like, that teacher's not very good. I mean, they're tight. They didn't in, say it in, that way. Yeah, but in terms of they don't, they're not creating activities rather than yeah. they're not teaching well. The lessons are boring. Or the lessons are... <clears throat> there's too much information in mm. a short amount of time. And I don't think that's necessarily true because 
Look, I went in in one day. In a lesson, we did、um, present perfect, past perfect,、uh, second conditionals, using wish for regrets and third conditionals. Yeah, in I, one lesson, it was a four-hour lesson, Man, and they were、nasty. quite advanced students. But I went from, you know, it it started off as.、Uh, Actually no, it started off using so and because、uh, he was he was hungry, so he went to the market, and then that evolved into conditionals, and that I mean it, it was just a very long, complex lesson. And my students at the end of it, they went, "Wow, we covered a lot today." You know, and we did, but it it definitely wasn't an input overload, and there was a lot of evidence that they could do it properly. Are we having the、um, potential of having input overload on this podcast? Quite possibly, but look. <laughs> I, my answer to the whole "what's a nice classroom" thing is a it, it is a bit subjective, but a language classroom. I'm sorry, if a language classroom is silent, it's an it's issue. It's not working. It's and not. I do believe that it's it's hard to sit down for a long time and pay attention. Yeah, I'm fifty years old, and I have a problem sitting down for more than five minutes unless something is very interesting. Yeah,、mm. the, any opportunity that you can have Actually, to get your students up. For any of the listeners、up. out there, if you were watching me doing this podcast, you'd see that I would sit back in the chair, and then now I'm sitting right forward, and then I lean back again, and、yeah. then I wave my arms around. I can't sit still at all. <laughs> yeah, in fact, it, this would probably be a lot easier for us to record if we could clip this. To our lapel or something, and walk around, and, and, and walk around and tidy up your kitchen. And,、yeah. Great. Well, thanks for listening, guys, and join us next time in two weeks' time. In, in two、fact. weeks' time, and、uh, in the meantime, get your students moving. Yeah. 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 Absolutely. Tiffin Waffle is proudly brought to you by the non-stop wafflers Troy and Steve. For any questions, comments, complaints, or queries, you can email tiffinwaffle at gmail dot com. Or visit www.tefawaffle.com.